Give him praise, give him praise, give him praise, give him praise. Lekotola, Mengra Nasokolo da Babaya Nagadaga. In the name of Jesus. Father, we praise and bless the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for this another opportunity to come before your holy word. We come humbly before your word. We come respectfully before your word. Our hearts are open and our minds are expectant that your word will build us up and equip us. And we pray for everybody connected to this service all over the world. Revelation knowledge like never before. The eyes of your understanding flooded with light in the name of Jesus. And we thank you Lord that by the end of this service we will all be the better for it. We give you praise for answered prayer. In Jesus precious name and every believer says a powerful amen. Lift your right hands to heaven. Let's release our faith together as we say these words. I am born of God. I am born of the world. The word of God is my nature. I do not struggle to do the word. I do the word naturally. Therefore today, I will understand the word of his grace. I will be built up. By the end of this service, I will never be the same. Never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, and every believer says a powerful amen. We want to welcome everybody connected to this service this morning by way of Kingdom Life Network, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, all our house centers, all our campuses around the world, and everybody else connected by way of XLFM all over Aquaibom State. We're glad to have everybody connected to the service. Hey guys, I'm telling you, we're going to have an exciting time as we uncover the revelation of Jesus from the scriptures. And so we're excited. You better grab your pen, grab your notebook and your Bible, and you can be seated with your sweet smart self as we get in the word of God. Somebody shout a powerful amen in the house. Praise God. All right. <clears throat> We've been examining the subject of the misunderstood God for about two months now or thereabout. And we are now in part four of the misunderstood God. We are examining finding God in the midst of evil. Finding God in the midst of evil. And sometimes you hear people say, why do evil happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Or why does God allow bad things happen to good people? And you know, those of you on social media, I'd like you to help me spread this video, share it on your page, get everybody to hook up because this is one area where people have really misunderstood and misconstrued and mutilated the character of God because of all kinds of junk that has been taught them or they've been exposed to. And that has affected a lot of people from having a strong, vibrant, active relationship with Almighty God. So please, let's get as many people as possible to tune into this teaching and to listen to what I'm teaching, especially beginning from the first service this morning and even from the first teaching on Thursday. There's a lot to unpack and there's a lot to unlearn so you can relearn so that your relationship with God can be grounded because you can't relate effectively with somebody you don't know. You can't relate to somebody whom, whom all you know about him is rumors and things people have said about him. You know, you can only relate effectively with somebody that you have a first-hand knowledge of. Somebody you know personally, somebody you have related with, and somebody you've developed trust and built confidence in. So let's get as many people as possible all over the world to get into these teachings and to hear the things we're sharing by the Holy Ghost. Oftentimes, a question arises because many people know God in an assumption, in an assumption. 
For example, Job chapter 42, and we're going to do a lot of job on Job in this service. Job 42, let's read from verse 2 to 6. Job 42, from verse 2 to 6. I know that thou canst do everything. Thou canst do everything. And that no thought can be withholding from thee. That's the first assumption. God can't not do everything. God cannot lie. God cannot sin. God cannot steal. He can't do everything. See? So already that's an assumption. When you hear people say, oh, God can do everything. That's not true. God cannot do everything. He cannot. I didn't say he will not. I say he cannot. That is, within God, that configuration to do certain things does not exist. He doesn't have the wherewithal to do certain things. For example, just pay attention. James chapter 1 verse 13. James, and we will come back to Job. Let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot. See that? God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempted he any man. These are absolute statements. These are not suggestive statements. These are absolute conclusive, you know, definite statements. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. So God cannot do everything. He cannot tempt people. He cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. God cannot. It's not that God will not know. The configuration that makes a man able to do something, that configuration does not exist in God. He doesn't have the wherewithal. He cannot. Alright? So come back to Job chapter 42 verse 2. Job 42 verse 2. I know that thou canst do everything. And that no thought can be withholding from thee. Next verse. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I altered that I understood not. If your Bible was mine, that's a good place to understand, to underline. So most of the things that Job said are things that Job did not understand. Those, the things I uttered, I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. So most of the things Job said, he has put a disclaimer that there are things he did not understand and there were things he does not know. Give me the next verse. Things I knew not. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Verse 5. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. That word hearing of the ear in the Hebrew means rumor. That is everything I know about God came by rumor. It's rumor based. You know, snippets of things people have said, snippets of my experience, snippets of dreams and visions, snippets of people's testimonies, snippets of teachings I gathered and collated from different places, all put together is Job's impression of God. So he said, look, I said things I don't know because I've been hearing of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now... Mine eye seeth thee. Now I know you. Now look at the next verse. I, wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. That is, I am repenting for holding a false impression of God and communicating that in 41 chapters. I repent for giving a picture of God that is not accurate. 
I repent for painting an impression of God that never existed. Job is repenting in chapter 42 after 41 chapters of ranting and ranting. And so we're going to examine this guy because Job represents many Christians around the world today. Now, please remember, I gave you a picture that where you hear snippets of scriptures, for example, you are a palm tree Christian. You are, you know, um, a cedar of Lebanon. You are, you know, Daniel in Babylon. You are Joseph in prison getting ready for the palace. When all your Christianity is those kind of sensational things you have had, you cannot summarize that and say you know God. There's no knowledge of God in all of the things I have said. And so that's why many believers don't know God. They only have an assumption of a God they think they know. You didn't hear that. Of a God they think they know. Because if you grow in that kind of atmosphere, you will become experienced in ignorance. And you will have developed experiences that will have been firm enough to be your convictions. That will have been firm enough to be your convictions. So we said, when people ask questions like, why did God allow it? If God knew it to happen, why didn't God stop it? Why did God not? Why did God? When people ask such questions, it is because they are ignorant of God. They do not know who God is. So that's why James chapter 1 verse 13 now says, James 1 13, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man, verse 14. But every man, somebody say every, yeah, every man, not some men, every man, except you're not a man, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own, if your Bible was mine, I will underline own, of his own laws and enticed. Then look at verse 15. Then when lust had conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. If you observe verse 14 and 15 of James, there is no mention of God there. There is no mention of God there. And the reason is simple, because all you find there, it's man's desire. Then you see the motions of sin, and you see the circle that it produces. That's what you find there. So it's not just a mere statement to say, let no man say when he's tempted. It's a present continuous statement. That is a consistent affirmation where it has become a conviction in your heart. Where you are so convinced and you are so assured that evil couldn't have happened if God didn't allow it. Then sometimes you will hear preachers tell you, don't worry, God allowed it so he cannot turn it for your good. Ah, God allowed it. That means God is a culprit in allowing and, you know, working with evil. So that he will not make the evil happen. So he can now turn it for good. So he can be a hero in it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. You know in the first service I told you. That the difference between an atheist. And a man that is religiously established. Is there is no difference. Because an atheist is on this extreme. Who says there is no God. 
a religious person that you know has not been established in the knowledge of God in scripture is a person who says everything that happens is God whether good, bad or ugly it is all God for example God can make you sick so that he can heal you and take glory that doesn't make sense so both the atheist on that extreme and the Christian on this extreme who attributes everything to God two of them are the same there's no difference between an atheist who says there is no God and a Christian who says there is God and this God is the, is the, is the instigator, he's the proponent, he's the progenitor of good, bad, evil, and ugly. Both of them are ignorant of God. Both of them are ignorant of God. Now, so brother Paul will say, my heart's desire for Israel is that they be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. You know, they, they don't have the knowledge of God. He says, I speak this to your shame that you have no knowledge of God. Then brother Paul will say, if any man glory, let him glory in this that he knows me. So the knowledge of God is the glory of the believer. So sometimes that's where the problem is. And the reason why many believers are not established in, in the knowledge of God is because they are lazy, very lazy, you know, very lazy. They are not ready to study. They are not ready to learn the word of God and they are not ready to invest time so they can be built in the word of God. So it is absolutely ridiculous to say God is in everything because God is not involved in sin. God is not involved in human desires. Please don't forget that. God is not involved in human desires. Sin is about God. But sin is without God. Sin is about God. But sin is without God. Sin means to miss God. From a Hebrew word, chatter. From a Greek word, hamatia, it means something is missing. It is missing about God. Something is missing about God. So, in sin, even though it's about God, God is inactive and absent. Even though sin is about God, yet God is inactive in sin and absent from sin. So the question is, where do people get their wrong ideas from? They get their wrong ideas from assumptions. Assumptions. Unintelligent learning. Uneducated acquisition of knowledge. Uneducated acquisition of knowledge. What do I mean by that? Alright? Uneducated acquisition of knowledge is when you begin to pack everything that sounds like God from everywhere to form your theology of God. To form your theology of God. That is uneducated acquisition of knowledge. But there has to be an intentional, deliberate acquisition of the knowledge of God from the only book that reveals God explained contextually explained contextually. That's critical. There has to be an intentional, laborious, rigorous, dedicated, intentional study of God's word contextually to arrive at an understanding of God. You can never know God outside the scriptures. You can never know God 
outside the scriptures well explained. You can never know God outside the scriptures well explained. That is why Jesus kept saying to the people, have you not read? Have you not read? Because if you have read, there are questions you will not ask. Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning, which is Genesis, that's why even Jesus in Bible teaching, you will hear the Bible say, Jesus beginning at Moses, which is Genesis, and all the prophets. Intensive. Jesus had a pattern of teaching the scriptures. It was always from the beginning, or it was always intentional. Now, I said that to say what I'm about to say. In studying the scriptures, we must understand that the scriptures reveals one person. John 5.39 Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. They are they which testify of me. So, your study of the scriptures must be deliberate. Your study of the scriptures must be deliberate. Now, let's examine the man, Job. In Job chapter 1 verse 21. Please stay with me. This is going to get exciting. Job 1 21. And said, naked came I out of my mother's womb. And naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's look at some of the scriptures you wrongly heard before you got born again. And some of them you heard when you got born again. Like Job 121 is quoted in so many funeral ceremonies all over the world in the church world. Job 121, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. And it has built a conception of God that God is a giver and a taker. So when a woman is sick and maybe by reason of sickness she has breast cancer. And then now they want to take out the breast. She will say, well, you know, God gave me two pairs of breasts and he has taken one out. Blessed be his holy name. It makes no sense. God gave me two children but has taken one back. Blessed be his holy. It makes no sense. God cannot be the giver and the taker away. If he's going to take it away, why did he give you in the first place? Why? There's no point giving you. But it is because people have not read. Because if they have read, they will have known that the gifts of God are without repentance. That when God gives you, he gives. He doesn't give to take. He gives to give. Are you, are you with me here? He gives to give. He does not give to take. Now stay with me because we're going to do some exegesis on that. Look at Job again, chapter 2, verse 10. Job, chapter 2, verse 10. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? In all these did not Job sin with his lips. Hmm. In all these did not Job sin with his lips. Yet from Genesis we saw that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. There is no evil in God. So now Job says God gives, God takes. Job says should we expect only good from God and not evil from God? Are you seeing? Are you seeing Job's assumptions? Now 
please stay with me. God is light, no confusion in God. Now, whoever wrote the book of Job, because they say there's, there's the theological debate on who wrote the book of Job, and I don't want to get into that, but whoever wrote the book of Job, the story presents itself. And if you're not careful, you will miss what the writer of the book of Job was communicating. The story presents Job as an upright man and perfect. Look at Job chapter 1 verse 1. Let's walk now. Job chapter 1 verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright. And one that feared God and eschewed evil. The word perfect there is the Hebrew word tam, T-A-N. In the Hebrew, it means he was peaceful. Perfect doesn't mean he was sinless. Perfect didn't mean he was perfect in the sense of perfect. It just means he was a peaceful man. He doesn't fight. Okay? Perfect doesn't mean he was knowledgeable or sinless. No. You know, I told you that the Old Testament is very honest about the frailty of all Bible characters. So that everyone can look unto Jesus alone. Abraham told lies. Abraham gave his wife to another man for adultery. Abraham, all kinds of things. Yet he was a righteous man by faith. David was a murderer. He killed, yet he was a prophet, priest, and king. You know, we can go on and on. We can go on and on. All of them had frailties and weaknesses and shortcomings. And the reason why the Bible is very clear about the characters of the people that were called righteous in the scriptures is so that we can look up to Jesus alone. So that no one has a right of entitlement. And that was one of Job's challenges. Job was a self-righteous person. Self-righteous person. Thinking that with all of his prayer life, his self-righteousness... Job was given to what I call works mentality. Now the word upright, he was perfect, which means peaceful, he doesn't fight. The word upright is harmless. It implies he was morally good. What you call a good person. He was morally good. That's the meaning of upright. The word perfect there is from another Hebrew word, taman, taken from tam. It is used for Job seven times out of the 14 times in the book of Job. That word perfect, which is, you know, the word for morally good. Look at Job chapter 1 verse 8. You will see that word applied. Job chapter 1 verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright, a perfect and upright. And if you read, you will see that word used in Job chapter 2 verse 3. If you are writing for study, Job chapter 2 verse 3. Job chapter 8 verse 20. Job chapter 9 verse 20. Job chapter 9 verse 21 and 22. Job chapter 22 verse 3. If you read, it kept saying it was perfect and upright. Perfect and upright, which means moral it also means he was not a troublesome person. And that is why in chapter 42 verse 6, Job repented. Let's see a little more about Job. Job chapter 1 verse 3. Pay attention. Job chapter 1 verse 3. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels. 
and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she ashes and a very great household so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. So this Job was great in substance. He had wealth. He was a rich guy. He was not a small boy. He had children that were adults. He was a big man. Look at verse 4 of Job chapter 1. Let's look at a little bit of Job. And his sons went and feasted in their houses. Everyone his day. And sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. Look at the presumption of Job in verse 5. Presumption. Job in verse 5. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about. That Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning. Those of you that come from religious homes, they wake you up 5 a.m. for family prayer. 5 a.m. every day. Whether you know God or you don't know God, whether you know who you're praying to or not, it's just, it's just a culture, it's just a tradition. That's what was happening in the house of Job. And rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, this is why he was doing what he was doing. For Job said, it may be, another assumption, it may be, he's not even sure, it may be that my sons have sinned and caused God in their hearts. So this does the Job continually. So he was doing a particular ritual because of assumption. Because of assumption. The first thing is, if Job had read the scriptures and had the oracles of the Old Testament, he should have read Abraham in Genesis where Abraham was going to Mount Moriah with Isaac. And Isaac looked at the father and said, I see the wood, I see the fire. Where is the lamb? And Abraham said, God shall provide himself an animal for sacrifice. Job wouldn't have been sacrificing because man does not have any sacrifice that can settle the matter of sin. So only God will provide an animal that will be sacrificed to take care of man's sin. But because Job did not read and pay attention, Job was busy offering sacrifices that did not have any spiritual value. Observe. I'm going to show you in a few minutes. Observe very carefully that the act of offering animals for sin is an act of self-righteousness. The act of offering animals for sin is an act of self-righteousness because only God can make the provision. Only God is called Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh means God who makes provisions for our sins and iniquities. God who makes provision for our sins and iniquities. And that was what Abraham did with the young man on Mount Moriah. Isaac said, I see the wood and the fire. Where is the sacrifice? Abraham said, God will provide himself. Now later on, Jesus was teaching. Look at John chapter 8 verse 56. John chapter 8 verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad next verse then said the Jews unto him thou art not yet 50 years old and hast thou seen Abraham next verse Jesus said unto them verily verily I say unto you 
Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Where did Abraham see the day of Jesus? On Mount Moriah, when the animal was provided for God as a substitutionary sacrifice on behalf of man. Because the forgiveness of sin is a promise that only God was going to be the one to provide for man. Are we in the building here? Only God could provide the sacrifice for man. That is what Abraham, I mean Job would have seen if he had read carefully. If Job had read, he wouldn't have offered any sacrifice. Why? Because all the sacrifices they offered in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, they offered it because of the hardness of their hearts. They offered it because of the hardness of their hearts. So Moses built them a tabernacle. Why? Because they didn't believe the gospel. He gave them what their unbelief required. You know, he just kept them doing that and doing that. They didn't believe, so he gave them what their unbelief required. Look at Psalm 40 verse 6. Look at what David will say about sacrifices. Psalm 40 verse 6. The book of Psalms 40 verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. So there was no point for Job to be offering animals for his children's sin in case. He says, sacrifice and offering thou did not desire. Mine ears has thou opened. But offering and sin offering has thou not required. God doesn't need any animal sacrifice. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. Then why was the animal sacrifice given by Moses? For the law... Having a shadow, a skia in the Hebrew, a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things. Can never, somebody shout can never. Yeah, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the commas thereunto perfect. It can never make anybody perfect. So what was going on was a remembrance of their sins. Every time they offered the animal, they remembered their sins. God's promise from Genesis was that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. God already promised. God already promised after the fall of Adam that my cure for the fall will be myself dying to solve it. He already promised in Genesis chapter 3. So there was no need for man offering sacrifices because God already said it is myself, the seed of the woman that will bruise the head of the serpent. That will be the cure for sin. So there was no need for animal sacrifices. They gave those sacrifices because when Moses gave them Jesus, they rejected Jesus. So since their hearts were hardened in unbelief, then Moses gave them a ritual to be doing every day as a schoolmaster until Christ shows up. Are we in the building here? Alright, now <clears throat> stay with me. This is very important. So many things we will read is people's ignorance of what is written. People's ignorance. So the question, did God do it or why does God allow evil to happen or where is God in the midst of evil? If we will engage in systematic study, such questions will not arise. 
no rush, no excitement, no rushing, just calm down and systematically be taught the word of God. Sitting down, asking the right questions. Then you come to know who the Lord Jesus is or who the father of our Lord Jesus is. So Job was offering sacrifices here presumptuously. Presumptuously. Look at what Job said. It may be that my sons have seen. Now that word, it may be, is a Hebrew word. It is a word, is a word perhaps, like a guesswork, likely, an assumption. Is a Greek word, ula. U-L, I mean Hebrew word, ula. U-L-A-H. Used for guesswork. You know, it may be. So the scripture has this message. How would you think if Noah's day was after Genesis? How will you read Abraham, Jacob, Isaac? You saw it. You read Noah. I mean, I'm talking about Job. You read Noah. Then you now think your uprightness was it. Noah was an imperfect man, but he believed the gospel. Abraham was an imperfect man, but he believed the gospel. It was their faith in the gospel that made them righteous, not anything they did. Stay with me. So Genesis already shows you that God's righteousness is a gift. God's righteousness is not moral uprightness. Mm -mm. It's not moral uprightness. You read Abraham, a great man, and at the same time, a liar. Yet he's righteous. His son, another liar. His grandson, another liar. In fact, that one, we don't even need to get into that one. I'm talking about Jacob. A great liar. Yes, all of those people were the ones God made a promise to. How would you now have self-righteousness when you read about all these patriarchs and you see that yet with all of their imperfections, they were undeserving of God's grace, yet God gave them grace. So, what made them righteous was their faith in the promise of Christ. Faith in the promise of Christ. In the book of Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed and it was credited to him for righteousness. So you have read that and then now you are leaning on your own straightforwardness. You are leaning on your own morality, talking about Job. You are thinking that what matters is your morality. I mean, morality matters. Don't get me wrong. But it does not score any point with God. Morality that honors God is a morality that matters. And that morality is faith in what Christ has done. Faith in what Christ has done. The writer of Hebrews summarized all of them. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, he says... Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now look at the next verse. For by it the elders obtained a good report. So the only good report that the elders in the Old Testament obtained came by faith. It came by faith, not by works. For by it the elders obtained good report. Look at the next verse. Through faith we understand that the walls, that the walls, the word walls there is the times and seasons. We are framed by the word of God. 
so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So you read that the patriarchs, all of them, depended on God's righteousness. Their, their dependence was on what Christ will do. Now look at Job again, chapter 1, verse 6. Stay with me. Job, chapter 1, verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And Satan came also among them. Now, another thing you will see is if you read the scriptures very well. Even from Genesis, you will see the use of imageries. You will see the use of imageries. The use of figurative expressions. The use of figurative expressions. When you read a serpent is talking, you should know it's a figure of speech. When you read in Genesis, a serpent is talking. You should know it's a figure of speech. When you read in Genesis that you eat the fruit and live forever, what kind of fruit will that be? That you will eat and live forever. You should know that the fruit there is a figurative expression. Those are things that already shows you that this message was communicated in a figure of speech. It was communicated in a figure of speech. By the time you read it together, you will see it. That's why Jesus told the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7 verse 18. I like to read it. Mark chapter 7 verse 18. And he saith unto them, Are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that what things, whatsoever things from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Don't you know that if Adam ate something from outside, it wouldn't have made him a sinner? Give me the next verse. Are you also without understanding? Because it entered not into his heart. Apple does not enter heart. Orange does not enter heart. Watermelon does not enter heart. But God, but into the belly. And goeth out into the toilet. Purging all meats. Next verse. And he said, That which cometh out of the man. That defileth the man. Next verse. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders. Next verse. Theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Next verse. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Which will mean that in Genesis, Adam and Eve didn't eat something. Because if they ate something, it will have entered and gone to the toilet. So the sin of Adam was not a tree or fruit or apple. It was thoughts, thoughts from within that came out rejecting life which is Christ and made Adam a sinner. Is it clear? Stay with me. So it came from within the man. It's not what a man eats that makes him unclean. But what comes out of him? 
So he said, seeing is not what you eat with your mouth. Seeing is what is in your heart. Now that was very clear. So why do you think it was an apple? That should tell you it was a figure of speech. By the time you read the whole scripture and you see the word tree used for a man's life, action or attitude. That's what Genesis 2 was saying. But when you lack consistency of reading, you will be confused. When you lack consistency of reading, you will be confused. By the time you read and see serpent, you know that the serpent was used figuratively for the work of the devil. For the work of the devil. It's a figurative expression of the work of the devil. It's not like snake in the forest. Then you read Jesus as well. You read the book of Revelation. Then you understand because you are reading. So here in Job chapter 1 verse 6. Please pay attention. Job chapter 1 verse 6 is an imagery. Please stay with me. It's an imagery. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. That's an imagery. If you read the book of Job very well, the first three chapters, you will discover two persons talking. Two persons talking. The person who was mentioning Satan was not Job himself. Job never knew Satan and never talked about Satan. The person who was mentioning Satan was the person who was narrating the story of Job. The narrator. He was the person that was explaining to you using figures of speech. Because Job never said Satan. He was the person that was writing that unveiled Satan. The narrator of the story. Because you will ne never hear Satan in Job's words. Not even once. So that means the narrator is the one using imagery for the sons and Satan. Imagery. You will soon understand what I'm talking about. Imagery for the sons and for Satan. The sons of God and Satan in verse 6. And that conversation can stand today as a parable. A parable or a figure of speech. Because God and Satan don't have that kind of discussion. God and Satan does not chat. They don't have chat. You know, God and Satan are not on the same WhatsApp group where they will be chatting with each other. You know what I mean? They are not on the same WhatsApp group. God and Satan don't have any that kind of con connection. Let me take you to a place so that you will understand what I'm bringing out for you in the book of Job. Let's go to another illustration that will help you understand. Look at Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 <clears throat> where Jesus was tempted. In Matthew 4 and Luke 4 Jesus was tempted. The scenario is as if, you know, when you read it, it's as if Jesus was in a fasting and then as he was fasting, he, he was in the wilderness fasting. That's the scenario and that's the way many of you think, I'm sure. Alright, but it will change now. So Jesus is fasting in the wilderness and then as he is fasting, towards the end of fasting, Satan now walks to Jesus and says, Jesus, if you are the son of man, command the stones to be made bread. Then Jesus now looked at Satan and said, it is written. That's the image some of us have. But that's not what happened. 
Stay with me. That's not what happened. So the question now is, what really happened? What really happened? I'm about to show you in a few minutes. First of all, remember Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. Then Satan now took him to the kingdoms and showed him the glories of this world in a matter of time. He took him to the city. He took him to the high mountain. It couldn't have been physical. It couldn't have been an event that happened at once. Because this guy has fasted. And at the end of the fasting, Satan couldn't have carried him from the wilderness with the fasting to Jerusalem. Then take him again to the pinnacle of the city. Then take him again to the mountains. That couldn't have been an event. It's an imagery that the writer Matthew is painting to reveal to you the pattern of temptations. Stay with me. It's an imagery that the writer of Matthew is writing and look to reveal to you how temptations happen. It's not a movie. It was not a movie where you just do everything at the same time. No. In that Matthew chapter 4 verse 5, look at it. Matthew chapter 4 verse 5. Then the devil take him up into the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. Holy city means did not happen in the wilderness. That's the meaning of holy city. It means that event did not happen in the wilderness. It happened among people. That is, people were there. That's the meaning of holy city. People were there. Then look at verse 8 of the same chapter. Verse 8. Pay attention. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Exceeding high mountain. Then look at something brother Luke will say on the same account. Luke chapter 4 verse 5. Luke chapter 4 verse 5. And the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. You can't show somebody all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. It's not, he, he, he's just giving you an imagery. It's not real. It didn't happen in a moment of time. Like, how can you see the kingdoms, even the kingdoms in Nigeria? How can you just stand on top of Uyo Mountain and see every government house in Nigeria? It's not possible. It's an imagery. It's a figure of speech. It's a mode of communication. For those of you who did literature in English, you should know what I'm talking about. It's a figure of a, a figurative communication of a summary of of Matthew and Luke trying to explain something to you that happened. Now, so what was happening? Jesus was using an imagery to describe temptation. Temptation. So all the three things, scholars of theology have said that those three things represent the loss of the flesh, the loss of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's actually what those three things represent. You know, it is to show how men are tested. It is to show how people get tested or how people get tempted. Remember, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted. Neither does he tempt anybody. So there has to be a way people are tempted. So in the story of Jesus, he is showing us how Jesus the man was tempted. So that we know that just like Jesus was tempted is the way we are tempted. 
And if Jesus is tempted, that already establishes that God does not tempt. Because God can be tempting himself. Jesus is God. God can be tempting himself. Because Jesus is God. Are you in the building? Are you following? If you're following, wave your hand. Wave your hand. Because I know some of you can't talk. Some of you are meditating too deep. And some of you are observing social distance. So, wave again. Okay, good. I'm glad you're following. Anytime you're following me like that, just do me like that. Anytime it enters, do me like that. It's necessary. So that I can, I'm sure that we're communicating. Alright? <clears throat> now, this is not for those of you online. So that you don't see that alone and be doing like this. It's not for you. It's for the few people I have with me here. My few audience in the building. Now, so he's to show them how men are tested. So Jesus mentioned, so you know that it is Satan they were yielding to. It's not in the spirit. It was something that happens in the midst of men. Temptation happens in the midst of men. Why do bad things happen? Number one, bad things happen because men are wicked without God. So because men are wicked, Wicked men have Satan living in them. So in cooperation with Satan, they carry out acts of wickedness against fellow men. Wickedness is between men and men. Happens within men. Are we in the building here? So temptation is within the activities of men. God is not a part of it. Because even God himself, when he came into man, man tempted him. Are you following? Yeah. Man tempted him. Alright? Now, stay with me. If you read the four gospels together, you will discover that almost ten times, you will see, and they came to Jesus and tempted him. And they came to Jesus and tempted him. Almost ten times in the four gospels. That's what he is describing here. In this figurative imagery that is talking about Jesus and those three instances. Of course, that temptation you are seeing was through men. The temptation was through men. But of course, Satan was behind the scene. See, how do we know Satan was behind the scene? Ephesians chapter 2 verse, verse 2. Look at it. Ephesians 2.2 2. Wherein in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the pneuma, which is spirit. The spirit that now walketh, there is a spirit at work. Are you following? There is a spirit at work in the children of disobedience. What kind of disobedience? Disobedience to the gospel. There's a spirit at work inside an unbeliever. The spirit of the devil is at work. Alright? So, since the devil is at work, when you see certain men carry out certain actions, those actions are instigated by the devil inside them. Are you following? Yeah. Those actions. Please stay with me. They are instigated by the devil inside them. So, Jesus used this imagery to say it is Satan doing it. 
This is a story of the temptation of Jesus all through the four gospels. Given in an imagery. All the temptations. Given in a summary, in an imagery, a figure of speech. Let's see a few texts. John 14, 30. John chapter 14, verse 30. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. It was John who gave the details. He cometh and hath nothing in me. This is Jesus talking now. Look at Luke chapter 4 verse 13. Luke chapter 4 verse 13. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. That means he kept coming. He didn't depart from him forever. It was for a season. That means every time he tempts him, he would depart. When he tempts him, Jesus will use the word, Satan will depart. Then he will come again. That's why you see in the imagery, it was one temptation after another, after another. He is rebuked, he will come down. Then he will do another one. He is rebuked, he will come down. Then he will do another one. Because that is how the devil operates. Are you following? He operates like that through men, through circumstances, and through events. He hides, he is veiled, then he carries out his wicked acts through yielded vessels to him. Through yielded vessels to him. So let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. Look at Luke chapter 2 verse 8. Luke chapter 2 verse 8. And they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, we will see later in Matthew chapter 4 verse 5, later on, Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Look at Matthew 16, 22. Matthew 16, 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Talking about Jesus. Saying, be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. Next verse. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou serverest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Was it Peter that was Satan? Who was Satan? Satan was the spirit that opposes the gospel seeking expression that Peter yielded to. Are you following? So we see Satan operating through Peter because temptation is within the activities of men. Are you following? Temptation is within the activities of men. I was traveling in the car. We were going to preach uh, with one of my drivers. And then we were traveling. I think Enugu was where we were going to preach. Enugu State. And then I, I slept. Because most times when I travel, especially if when I arrive I'm going to preach, I sleep to rest. So on arrival I can be refreshed to preach. I slept. I only woke up and found out that we were in the bush. I opened my eyes at the back of the car and I saw grasses. So I asked the driver, hey, what, what's going on? 
He said, uh, he said, it's like the tire of the car is no more responding to the steering. I said, what is that? He said, the tire is not responding to the steering. I said, my friend, say you slept on the steering. And because you slept, you took me into the bush. He says, the tire. I said, okay, move the car out. We moved the car out. I got the mechanic. We got to a mechanic. We got a mechanic to drive. He drove the car at 120, 140. And the car was responding well. The mechanic said, there's nothing wrong with the car. I said, tell me the truth. You slept. Because actually, the young man slept. And when he slept, he entered the bush. Now, anything could have happened if not for the mercy of God. You understand? And anything could have happened to us. And then people will have said, God, why? But God is not involved. It is the carelessness of that guy on the steering. Most times we blame God because we do not know the scriptures. So Jesus kept saying, have you not read? Have you not read? Now, please stay with me. John gives us the detailed picture very well. Look at John chapter 14 verse 30 again. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. The one who rules the affairs of this world. The prince is the Greek word. Ako, 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 Hoko, Hokosmoa in the Greek. It's A-R-C-H-O, H-O-K-O-S-M-O-U. It means the one who rules the affairs of this world. The prince of this world. Remember the devil, the spirit that walketh in the children of disobedience. Then in John 12, 31. John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. The prince of this world be cast out. That means... In the resurrection, when Jesus is raised from the dead, you know, he will cast off the prince of this world from men. He will cast off, and that's what the gospel does. When the gospel is preached, you believe the gospel. The power of the gospel casts off the enemy from operating within a man. That's what the resurrection of Jesus did. It threw out Satan's reign and Satan's authority over the born again man. So the temptation of Jesus came from among men. They said to Jesus, let's make you a king. They said to Jesus, do a miracle for us. All those were temptations. And all of that in the four gospels, you will see Jesus kept saying, get thee behind me, Satan. So the scenario in Mark 4, I mean Matthew 4 and Luke 4, they are imageries describing the thoughts of men. James says, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. So how is the believer tempted today? The believer today is tempted by the affairs of this world. Because a believer is also tempted, just like Jesus was, by the affairs of this world. What we call the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. Because the works of the flesh are the works of the world. The works of the flesh are the works of the world. Look at Galatians 5.16. Pay attention. Galatians 5.16. 
This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Next verse. For the flesh lusted against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Next verse. But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. Next verse. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Next verse. Envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Next verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, when he says flesh, he is referring to the world. Flesh and world in this context are the same. The world, just like he said in Ephesians, you know, that they are under the control of the spirit of the world. If you are not of this world, remember, you are in this world, but not of this world, where will the temptation be? The temptation is from the flesh. Not the flesh. Not your body. Mm -mm. The flesh means the activities of the world. The temptation is from the flesh, the activities of the world, the activities. That's where temptation comes from. The flesh is the old man that has been crucified with Christ. But there are many old men, an old man among you like in conduct and the things you see. Look at Romans chapter 6 verse 6. Romans Chapter 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. The body of sin in the believer is destroyed, is being crucified, meaning the constituent of sin. It happened when you got born again. Look at Romans chapter 8 verse 2. Pay attention because it's going to be a long read. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Next verse. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Next verse. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. Next verse. For to be carnally minded is dead. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Next verse. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Next verse. 
So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Next verse. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Next verse. And if Christ be in you, is Christ in you? If Christ is in you, wave your hands. Is Christ in you? All right. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. Say with me, my body is dead to sin. Okay. The body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. Next verse. Ooh. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Twelve. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Thirteen. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That word led means from Egypt to Canaan or from bondage to freedom or from flesh to spirit. Being born again was you were led from sin to salvation. Look at verse 15. Romans 8.15. Pay attention. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry Abba Father. Next verse. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. That we are the children of God. 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. And join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him. That we may also. That we may be also glorified together. Can I have a powerful amen? So the moment you receive the spirit. The body of sin is dead. Look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. Pay attention. Galatians 5 16. This I say then. Walk in the spirit. And you shall not fulfill the, desire, the lust of the flesh. Next verse. For the flesh lusted against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary. The one to the other. Okay. So that you cannot do the things. That you would. And then like we read. Look at verse 22 now. Galatians 5.22. For the fruit of the spirit. Is love. Which expresses itself in joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. All of those are expressions of love. The fruit is one. Love. Which expresses in gentleness, goodness, faith. Next verse. Meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now look at 24. Glory. And they that are Christ. Are you Christ? If you are Christ, shout Christ. Have crucified. Not will crucify. They have crucified the flesh with the affections and loss. They have. 
So the fruit of being born again is love. Which will express in joy, peace, gentleness, meekness. So where do I get the flesh if I am born of the spirit? From the world. From the world. The flesh is from the world. So where does the temptation of Jesus come from? The world. Jesus was tempted by the world. What will tempt the believer? The world. So temptation doesn't come from your body. It comes from the world. The enticement of the world to your mind. The enticement of the world to your mind. So Jesus was just showing his disciples how to overcome temptation in the account of Matthew and Luke. It is written. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. Identification. But by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. That's identification. You're born of the word. You're born of the word. Identification. When you remember who you are in Christ, Satan cannot trick you. When you realize that you're born of God, you're born of the world, you have escaped the corruption that is in the world through loss. When you acknowledge that, no matter the temptation, you overcome. Identification. Identity. He quoted everything, if you observe, during the temptation, everything Jesus quoted was not from Romans or from Ephesus. It was from Deuteronomy. All those three temptations. Jesus defeated the devil by quoting from the scriptures. Because when you read the scriptures very well, you will understand the message. Deuteronomy 8.3, Deuteronomy 6.12-13, Deuteronomy 6.16. That's where Jesus quoted from in the three areas. Deuteronomy 8.3, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 12-13, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 16. So the temptation of Jesus came from corrupt men. So that's why Jesus will now you know, in Matthew 19.3, see again, men tempting Jesus. Matthew 19.3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him. Tempting him. And saying unto him. Tempting. Matthew 22.23. Matthew 22.23. The, the same day came to him the Sadducees, which said that there is no resurrection, and asked him, next verse, asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, that's another setup, another temptation. Look at how Jesus answered them in verse 28 of Matthew 22. How Jesus answered them. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Look at 29. Jesus' answer. Jesus answered and said unto them, You do err. Not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. You ask questions out of error because you don't know the scriptures. They were coming to test him. That's what he meant by Satan came and said to him, turn the stones to be bread. That was imagery. You know, you can't explain Satan using men. So Jesus had to remove Satan from the activities and unveil him as the one that was saying, do this, do this. Because all the time, Satan hides inside men. So in order for Jesus to make it clear to the disciples, he now removed Satan and made it look like him and Satan were interacting. 
But that Satan that was saying, if you are the son of man, he's always in man saying it in the activities of the world. I don't know if I'm communicating at all. It was an imagery. Jesus was teaching about temptations that comes from the world system so you know how to overcome it by the word of God. Pay attention. I'm going to show you something else. You know, you know that is the way it works. So take that illustration back to Job. Before we get to Job, let's stop by Revelation 12. We're going back to Job, but Revelation chapter 12. Quickly, 12 verse 9. Quickly, quickly. And the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan. The old serpent is called who? The devil and Satan. So anywhere you see serpent, who is it? Satan is just a figure of speech. Which deceived the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Watch the next verse. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Next verse. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. Look at it. That imagery makes it look like Satan is always standing before God and saying, God, look at what he has done. God, look at... No, it does. God, Satan and God have never had any chat. They are not in the same WhatsApp group. Do you understand? They are not in the same WhatsApp group. What Revelation is painting is an imagery of how Satan will come to a believer... And whisper an accusation. Now when the believer buys that accusation. And mentions it. It is Satan using you to accuse yourself. Before God who is inside you. I don't know if you understand. It's an imagery of how Satan accuses us. And makes us buy the accusation. And accuse ourselves before God. Because we and God are in a union that cannot be separated. So the only way the accusation can get to God. Is when we ourselves give it voice. But the imagery there makes it look like Satan is the one talking directly. No. Satan talks through believers who don't know who they are. By accusing them to be confessing sin every day. Do you understand? Every day they are, Satan is putting guilt, condemnation in their minds. So they keep confessing their sins. So that way he's accusing them. But when you know who you are in Christ, you overcome him. By the finished work of Christ, the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of that is, by the confession of what Christ has done. By declaring, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Forgiven, justified, accepted. Yeah, I am what the word says I am. When you begin to say that, you defeat the devil from accusing you. Am I communicating at all? So those are imageries. Whether in the temptation of Jesus or in Revelation. Now let's take it back to Job. Back to Job. So the scenario of Job was an imagery. Someone wanted to explain what happened. So he used an imagery like Jesus and Satan never communicated. So it was Jesus in the midst of men. Did you also notice that if Satan used anyone at all to voice his thoughts, it will be the friends of Job in that book of Job. So all you are reading is like a literature explaining ignorance, unbelief, self-righteousness, and the works of darkness. That is what you find in the book of Job. It's like a literature explaining ignorance, 
unbelief, self-righteousness, and the works of darkness. Those are the things you will see in the book of Job. So Job 1, never think that God and Satan had a chart. Again, it was an imagery. So we see from Job that Job was ignorant. Now Job 1, 6, again, as we nail this. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. And Satan came also among them. So the writer uses Satan in the midst of the sons of God. Because sons of God in the book of Hebrews is used for supernatural beings. Supernatural beings. He is letting you see that there's a supernatural being involved here. Even though it's in man's desires, temptation, still behind man's desires are a supernatural being. Listen carefully. The reason why Jesus cast out demons, because nobody casted out demons till Jesus showed up. The moment Jesus appeared, he started casting out demons. It was a sign of our deliverance from the kingdom of darkness. His casting out of devils is a sign of the gospel. Until Jesus, nobody casted out demons. So when he cast out demons, they said, ah, what kind of new doctrine is this? The Jews in his time. So casting out demons was exposing who was behind certain operations. Even though the people that demons were cast out may never be born again. Because casting out demons doesn't make a man born again. <laughs> casting out demons is not an end. It is a means to an end. Exposing Satan then for men to hear the gospel. That's the essence of casting out demons. And now be delivered. So when we cast out a demon, we now preach the gospel for the person to be born again so that the person can be delivered. But if you cast out a demon from somebody and it's not born again, the demon will come back and enter and make the man's case worse. So that's why casting out demons is not enough. After demons are cast out, the person must receive the gospel so that the person can be delivered because deliverance is being born again. So demons can be cast out, but the person is not delivered. Demons can be cast out of a man, but that man is not delivered. He will not be delivered until Christ enters him. Deliverance is a movement from one kingdom to another. It's a movement from one kingdom to another. So an imagery in Job should be well understood. Satan in Hebrew is the word Satanas. You will find it right down if you are making notes. You will find Satan written in Numbers 22.22. Numbers 22.32 1 Samuel 29.4 2 Samuel 19.22 1 Kings 5.4 1 Kings 11.14 The word Satan simply means an opponent, an adversary, one who is against you. You will also see that word in Psalm 109 verse 6. Zechariah 3 verse 1. Used 27 times. Majorly in the book of Job. 
You will see the word Satan used in Job 1.6, Job 1.7 twice, Job 1.8, Job 1.9, Job 1.12 twice, Job 2.1, Job 2.2 twice, Job 2.3, Job 2.14, Job 2.7. So the book of Job is satanized. <laughs> You also see in Psalm 109 verse 6, Zechariah 3.1. Used for something that is opposing the order. Used also for an accuser. It also has a verb spelled the same way. You will see the verb in Psalm 109 verse 4, Psalm 109.20, Psalm 109.29. All those are references for your personal study. Psalm 38 verse 20, Psalm 71 verse 13, Zechariah 3 1. It is used to attack. Now take note. First of all, you have to realize that the devil is a supernatural being. Even though he will walk through men, but he is supernatural. That's the first thing. Number two, you will see here. That the devil is veiled in human activities. The devil is veiled in human actions. So when we cast out demons, it's just a sign of the work of the enemy exposed. But that is not the end. We must go beyond that to get the people born again. How will you see, for example, you hear something like the prince of this world. Then you will hear the princes of this world. The prince, the princes. So, the prince of this world hides behind the princes, the rulers, governments, people in authority. If, you, if you're in the four gospels, you wouldn't have thought that Satan was behind the crucifixion of Jesus. Because all you saw is human beings. They came with knives to arrest Jesus. But behind them was an operation of the devil called the prince of this world. That's why Jesus was saying in Corinthians, for had the prince of this world known, he wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. So the prince of this world operated through the men of this world to carry out the crucifixion of Christ. He didn't know that in killing Jesus would be a resurrection that would get people born again and break his power over people. So he walked against himself. That's the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God made the devil walk against himself. Are you still in the building? So Satan's works are made manifest in men. He uses human authority. He plans wars with men in authority. Then he influences men to go to war and waste many people. We have the princes of this world and we have the prince of this world. And Paul said we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. Even though the activities of principalities and powers will be seen through flesh and blood. But our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. But against principalities and powers. Against the rulers of the darkness of this world. So in all, we have read about Satan in the book of Job. None of it came from Job. He didn't utter Satan once. Rather, he was busy saying it was God. He was saying he's God. And then in that context where we read, 
you will look, it, it, it will look like, you know, he is talking to God. You know, let me show you. Job chapter 1 verse 8. Put it up for me. Job chapter 1 verse 8. Hallelujah. And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feared God and eschewed evil? Look at verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for naught? Look at verse 10. <laughs> Has thou not made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he had on every side? Has thou thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land? Look at 11. But put forth thy hand now and touch that he had and he will cause thee to thy face. Look at 12. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he had is in thy power. Which means the impression you have from verse 8, 9, 10, and 11 was a lie. Because now the Lord said unto Satan, all that he had is in thy power. You see that? But Satan gave an impression that God has protected Job. So God should remove his hand and Job will curse God. Then God now said to Satan, what are you talking about? All that he had is in your power. Only upon himself put not forth thy hand. The only part God played was to protect his life. Don't touch him. But from the impressions created, it looks like, God, you have protected Job. If you touch Job now, he will curse you. But that's not true. God says, Satan, what are you talking about? All that he has, is it not in your power? It's in your power. Just make sure you don't touch his life. So the only part God played there was to protect the life of Job because God's power is always for salvation. Is it clear? Yeah, the only part. So Satan always has a way of hiding and giving an impression that colors God's character. That colors God's character. Remember, Satan is a liar, an opponent, and an accuser. An opponent and an accuser. God is the one preserving life. See the devil's lie? Making it look like evil happens when God removes his hand. That's the impression the devil was trying to create there. As if evil happens when God removes his hand. And it, it, many people believe it till today. Many people believe it till today. That the reason why things are tough is because God is against you. But that's a lie. When you discover that material possessions with Christians are the same with non-Christians then you never think that God controls wealth. It's not God. God does not control wealth. I know that my radio audience, their time is out, but hey, all of you on radio, you may need to get the CD of this service to get the conclusion of what I'm teaching now. So listen carefully. God does not control wealth. Many people think God controls wealth. How many of you remember during the corona lockdown, during the lockdown of the corona situation, how many of you remember that the price of crude oil went down to the bottom? How many of you remember? You remember that? When the price of crude oil was very bad, how many of you, I watched on Fox News, Donald Trump was giving a press briefing and he said, I had a discourse with the, with the is it Prince of Saudi Arabia or something, one of those countries. He said, we had a discourse and I told him to do certain things. Tomorrow, the price of crude oil will increase in value. And the next day, the price increased in value. That's not God. That's man. Wealth is controlled by man. Men determine 
where well there are men that control their fears of this world. You didn't hear what I said. There are men who are responsible for global economies. There are, how, how many of you have heard something like Kingmaker? Have you heard of Kingmaker? How many of you have heard of something like Political Godfather? Have you heard of Political Godfather? Okay. How many of you understand how they operate? If a political godfather says, you step down, you refuse, they will vote you out. Why? That's not God. Because the political godfather has established himself an institution and has been able to colonize the political arena such that you need him to succeed politically. That's not God in operation. I mean, those are just simple illustrations for you to see that God does not interfere with the affairs of men. Let me give you one more illustration. Two people did business in the Bible. Two of them did business. And after they finished doing business, one cheated the other. When it was time to share profit, one cheated the other. Is cheating a good thing? Huh? Is it a good thing? One cheated the other when it was time to share profit. So the one that was cheated now came to Jesus. And said, Jesus, I did business with my brother the other day. And when it was time to share profit, my brother cheated me. Jesus, please intervene in our matter. You know what Jesus answered him? Who made me a judge over you? <sighs> Jesus. Jesus is God. What Jesus was saying, I don't interfere with the activities of men. However you people want you to do it, that's within the operations of men. That's instructive. That statement is, the, is a trillion dollar statement. Who made me a judge over thee? When, they were, when the young man now who is cheated, who came to be comforted, has been rebuked by Jesus. Now the guy is going to go and comfort himself. As he is living, you know what Jesus said to him? Beware of covetousness. <laughs> Be, beware of covetousness. You know what that means? Jesus is saying to him, don't be greedy. The one they have given you, be, con be contented. So that you don't go to fight for the one they didn't give you and they kill you. I don't know if you understand it. This is Jesus talking. It's not some prophet. Jesus who is God. He reveals to you that the affairs of men are operated by men. That's why some of the richest men on earth are not Christians. They are not born again. They abuse God and they are making more money. Are we in the building? You know why Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. See that? My kingdom is not of this world. So we must understand that temptation is within the activities of men. Temptation is within the activities of men. That's very instructive. Very, very instructive. So now, please listen very carefully. Very, very carefully. The children of Job were feasting and disaster struck. And in Job 121, look at what Job will say after disaster struck. Job 1.21 And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. 
the Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah, 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 yeah. Question, was Job correct? Please answer me, let them hear you on on TV. Was Job correct? Was Job ignorant? Was Job self-righteous? Yes, he was. Look at Job 2 verse, verse, verse 3 to 5. Job chapter 2 verse 3 to 5. And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright, one that eschewed evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity? Although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. Next verse. And Job answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Five. But put forth thy hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will cause thee to thy face. Next verse. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thy hand, but save his life. Seven. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. Next verse. And he took a posture to scrape himself without, and he sat down among the ashes. Next verse. Then said his wife unto him, Does thou still retain thine integrity? Cause God and die. Next verse. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil in all deed? In all this? Did not Job sin with his lips? Now, when Job said, should we expect good and not evil? Was that correct? That was incorrect. Already, that was an assumption which was a sin. See that? And the rendition makes it look like God and Satan were interacting. God said, hey, Satan, come. Come, oh boy. Come here, man. What's up? What's up, man? Satan said, cool, man. Have you considered my servant, Job? Such a discourse never happened. Never happened. Have you considered my servant Job? As if God was exposing Job. No. God doesn't behave like that. God never exposes his children. He covers his children. And then Satan now says to God, if you touch Job now, he will curse you. God said now, uh, uh, go and touch him. God, he doesn't function like that. He came to save. He didn't come to destroy The only thing that God said there was don't touch his life. Don't touch his life. Don't touch his life. And then Job now concluded by telling his wife, shall we expect good from God and not evil? Another impression that is wrong. God never gives evil. Everything God created was good. Hallelujah. Are we in the building here? Yeah, those are impressions. Assumptions. Communicated communicated as if it was God in operation. Look at Job again, chapter 3. Just look at the rendition. Let's go through. Job 3, 24. For my sign cometh before I eat, and my roarings are poured out like the waters. Next verse. For the thing which I greatly feared. I thought they say he feared God. Hello? I thought they said Job feared God. Okay, wait. Put your finger in Job 3.25. Come to Job chapter 1 verse 1. Let's kill out something. Job 1.1. 1, 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Perfect, upright. One that feared God. 
feared God. Did he really fear God? Job 3.25. Let Job speak for himself now. For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me. And that which I was afraid of is come upon me. So the fear of Job was not a fear of God. It was a fear of evil. A fear of Satan. So Job lived perpetually in the fear of things. He lived in the dread of the unknown God. But God in his mercy saved his life. So Job is a story of the accuser of the brethren and his lies. Most of those places you see God is Satan hiding as a supernatural being and communicating, giving an impression that it was Satan and God that were communicating. He paints God in the minds of people. How he paints God. That's what you see in the book of Job. He makes it look like God removed his hand. That's why your business collapsed. As if God removed his hand, that's why your marriage packed up. As if God removed his hand. That's why your baby died. You know one man, one guy that used to be in this ministry back in 1992 when we were still a ministry, we have not even started church. Came to my house. My wife is pregnant. Praise God. I rejoice with him. Then he brought out an exercise book. He said, God has given me 15 prophecies for this pregnancy. 15. God told me he's a boy. I said, easy my brother. Follow this thing easy. After three months, he came with a book full of prophecy. He said, these are the things God has told me about this baby. A full 40 leaves exercise book. After six months, six months of the pregnancy, he came with four exercise books. He said, these are the prophecies concerning this boy. He has not done scan. He's just speaking by faith. Eight months into the pregnancy, the wife miscarried. Miscarried the baby dead. Hey! This guy cried, fell on the ground, brought out the library of prophetic books. He said, these are the things God told me. How can that child die? The child will not die. He almost fought with the doctors from keeping the child in the mortuary. He said, the child cannot die. That, that, that little fetus will not die. He said, no, it's not going to go and bury. Doctors have to send for me. I said, bro, what's the matter? He said, these prophecies cannot be wasted. That child will come back to life. God cannot lie. I said, my brother, keep your library. Go and bury that child now. After a while, we will talk. He said, oh, why will God do that? I said, it wasn't God. It wasn't God. All this encyclopedia of prophecies are your human desires for your child. They're your human desires. There's only one child that God sent to the earth. And that's Jesus. You didn't hear that. That's who? Jesus. That's Jesus. Because he is the savior of the world. So I prayed for him, comforted him, encouraged him, began to explain to him God the way I knew it then. And after some months, the wife took in again. I told him, you're comforted. Then he started writing prophecy. I said, if I catch you, if I catch you writing another prophecy, the kind of beating I will give you. Relax, my friend. You know, so many people don't understand that the activities of men are not instigated or moderated by God. 
He said, let them. God has handed over the earth to man to manage. To manage. And I, I need to do some more teachings on some of these things because we really need to come to a place where we understand how these systems function so we stop looking at God, you know, at, you know, from a way where God is not even aware of what is going on. Praise God. When you see evil, God is not there. Evil is the absence of God's power. Evil is the absence of God's power. If you know the scriptures, you will have seen God's power in the resurrection. In the resurrection. Give yourself that diligence to know God accurately. Be a good student of the scriptures. Be a good student of the scriptures. When you see evil or sickness, no superstition. You should be able to know that that is the devil. Because you know God from the beginning and he has not changed. If anything should be settled in your mind, is that Christ rose from the dead. If anything should be settled in your mind, is that every evil, every evil done to men in the Old Testament, they also did the same evil to Christ. Unjust treatments, lying, evil, lies, accusations, they did it all to Christ. Conspiracy, they even planned to kill him before time. They wanted to push him on a cliff. Men, the activities of men. The activities of men. But remember John 1.18. No man has seen God at any time. Only Jesus reveals God to us. You know, the only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father. He had declared Ezegomai. He has explained him. Jesus is God explaining God. If you had read very carefully, you will have seen that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If you have read very well, you will have seen that Jesus rebuked the disciples that wanted to bring fire down and consume. And he said, the son of man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Jesus, you know, explains God to us. When they were about to crucify Jesus, Peter brought out a knife, chop off the ears of Marcus. Jesus, at the point of crucifixion, took the air, fixed it back. Say, Peter, don't do that. We don't function like that. That's how good God is. See how God operates by seeing how Jesus functioned on the earth. Christ suffered everything that you suffer from the hands of men. Christ died to clarify the character of God. He didn't kill his enemies. Rather, he died for his enemies. He died for his enemies. A man who cast out demons... A man who healed the sick. A man who brought Lazarus back to death, back to life. Now dies to save man. Greater love has no man than these. That a man should lay down his life for his friend. Jesus died and rose. That should clear every confusion. God's power restores, saves, and heals. I thought somebody would shout hallelujah. So when you hear people saying, why did God allow? It's a wrong question. God is absent in sin. God is absent in evil. And the only way to arrive at that understanding is by a deliberate, intentional, systematic study of the scriptures. 
then you'll be able to arrive at the point where James says, let no man err. Let no man say, when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. Let no man say, when I am tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted of evil. Neither tempted he any man. But every man is tempted when he, he is drawn away of his own lust. Lust will conceive and bring forth death. The circle is within the activities of man. The circle is within the activities of men. Are we in the building here? The devil was a murderer from where? The beginning. So God has never killed. The killer has always been the devil. Why? God is good. Absolutely good. Totally good. And I have news for you. He lives in you. I thought somebody will shout hallelujah. Stand on your feet. That's all I've got for you in this service. On Wednesday, we still stay a little more on Job. There are some things I need to still clarify. There are certain activities in scripture I need to uncover because we must be able to establish that God is not within evil activities. There is no evil in God. God is absolutely good and totally good. Bless this morning. If you're blessed, can I hear you shout blessed? Lift your right hands to heaven, Father. We rejoice this morning. Thank you for everybody online on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, all our house centers and campuses. Thank you for everybody connected to the broadcast this morning. I declare that the revelation of God manifested in Jesus grows big in the hearts of your people. Every confusion gives way. Clarity comes by the word. Clarity comes by the word. Clarity comes by the word in the name of Jesus. Now you Satan, take off your hands. In the name of Jesus, take off your hands. And I decree that you are delivered from wicked and unreasonable men. You are kept by the power of God. The favor of God is at work on your behalf. Great grace is upon you. This revelation of God's word grows big on your inside. And as you study the scriptures, clarity comes to your understanding that God is absolutely good. Thank you, Father, for answered prayer. And I decree and I declare that everyone hearing the sound of my voice is not only established in this truth, but is able to defend it before gainsayers. And we decree that we preach the word and advance the cause of Christ on the earth. And I declare that through every one of you hearing the sound of my voice, the gospel continues to advance. Lives are changed, souls are saved, disciples are raised for the glory of God. Thank you, Father, for answered prayer. This week is a week of victory and a week of testimonies. Great grace is upon you in Jesus' precious name. And every believer says that, amen, on a note of finality. Can we celebrate, rejoice, shout, scream, jump, get excited this morning. Glory. Whoa. 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 Amen. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now listen to me. 30 days of glory begins from July the 5th. July the 5th to the first Sunday of August. 5th July to 2nd August is 30 days of glory and we will be live every day throughout the month of July teaching and teaching and teaching Soteria season 7. Now let me also announce that the whole of July will be Power Bible School online. 
is going to be online because people are not able to fly down. People are not able to travel to come to Bible school. So for the first time, we are putting the Bible school online. Now listen everybody carefully. Online in such a way that there will be lectures repeated so that whatever time zone you function from, you'll be able to catch the same lecture at different times so that nobody is left out. We have a morning lecture repeated in the afternoon. We have an evening lecture repeated at midnight. So everybody is covered from every time zone around the world. So if you want to register for the Power Bible School, maybe you have gone online, but you are not able to get your registration through. Shoot a mail to me right now, Dr. Abel Damina at yahoo.com. And we will quickly get you registered and get you prepared for the Bible School the whole month of July. You can hit two beds with one stone. Bible school and at the same time 30 days of glory. It's going to be exciting. Believe me. The adverts are already on for Power Bible School but we get the adverts out for 30 days of glory within the course of the week. And I'm also negotiating to see how we can get the 30 days of glory live broadcasted on radio in Aquaibom. So the whole state can be part of 30 days of glory anywhere you are in the state each evening. We get, we're trying to see if we can get two hours every day for 30 days of glory on radio. So nobody has an excuse not to be part of 30 days of glory. We're looking forward to having explosive times. We're using every platform to spread the fragrance of Christ all over the world. Are you excited about it? It's a joy, I tell you, I'm excited. Now, listen carefully. I want to take up your offerings, your kingdom investments, and your partnership. All of you online, the banking details are scrolling. If, they, if you're in any part of the world where there's no account that is particularly for your area, you can shoot me a mail if you really want to give. You know, you want to give towards this ministry. You've been blessed by this ministry. You believe in the vision of this house. And you want to be a full part of this vision. Through giving, through partnership, through investing to this ministry. If you shoot me a mail, we'll be able to reply you with banking details that are relevant for your part of the world. Everybody else, remember that we give as a sign of love and response to the love of God for our lives. We also give as responsible children of the kingdom who want to see their father's business progressing on the earth. When we give, we advance the gospel. You know, we're able to pay for TV, radio, or, or all the broadcasts on the internet. and it's, it's so much. And we're able to also pay for all the sustaining of the running of this ministry right here. We're able to get everything done through your givings. And I want to thank those of you that have been giving tirelessly, you know, ceaselessly and committedly. I really want to thank you for your sacrifices. And listen, listen, I know you're not giving just because you have too much. You're giving because you have valued Christ. You have placed a value on Christ and his work above your own personal desires. You have valued Christ above your own personal longings. So you are giving up certain personal comforts for the advancement of the kingdom of God. There's a reward. There's a reward. You know, it is called the work of the ministry. There's a reward for it. All your givings, all your prayers, evangelism, all your commitments to the kingdom, all of them will be rewarded. So don't, don't be weary in well-doing. Don't get tired of doing it. You know, we stay committed to it. We keep doing it as a lifestyle. We do it as a joy. We do it as a service for the kingdom of God. So grab a good offering today, whether you're in the house center, you're in the campus, or you're physically in the building here, online, wherever you are, grab your offerings, your kingdom investments. We're taking just one offering. Your offerings, your kingdom investments, your partnerships. I want to pray over them so that we can make them available, you know, for the work of God.
Lord. And thank you for giving right now. Father, I pray for everybody. Everybody in this building, on TV, online, and all those in the house centers, all those in the campuses, and all over the world. We give in faith. We give with joy. We give sacrificially. And our hearts are delighted. That as we give today, our offerings are a sweet smell before you. And thank you that through this ministry, we're able to get the gospel out to where people who need it are. We thank you, Father. Now I pray for everybody giving. Your needs are met according to his riches in glory. You lack nothing. You have sufficiency. The favor of God is at work on your behalf. In the name of Jesus. And we rejoice that in the post-corona world, you have ideas and concepts to position yourself and make much more money. In the name of Jesus. You are blessed in the works of your hands. And Father, we thank you for the privilege of giving today. In Jesus' precious name. And every believer says a powerful amen. Oh, glory to God. I'm excited. Believe me. Listen, everybody. Wednesday, 5 p.m. GMT plus one. I will be teaching. Continuation of finding God in the midst of evil. When Thursday by five, I will still be teaching. Now, listen. If you have any questions, shoot them to me. Because I will answer them on Wednesday. Especially in this particular series of finding evil. Or finding God in the midst of evil. Wednesday, 5 p.m. Thursday, 5 p.m. And then we continue like that. It's exciting to be able to serve you the grace of God. We love you, everybody. Don't forget to register for the Power Bible School. And don't forget to begin to make arrangements to be part of 30 days of glory throughout the month of July. We love you guys, all of you in the house centers. We live in the able hands of your pastors and all of you, you know, in, in the campuses. And let me quickly mention, house centers, your house pastors are going to announce to you from your district pastors. I'm going to have a meeting with all the house pastors district pastors, evangelism directors, prayer coordinators, you know, and the host of all the house churches. Um, I want to meet all of you. A date and time will be communicated and venue within the course of the week. So, I'd like you to prepare and expect it because those notices will be sent across and I want to be able to see everybody that coordinates pastors and all of you that I mentioned, you know, in that meeting. It's a very important meeting as we begin to prepare for the post-corona world. Praise the Lord. Well, we love you guys. House centers, we live in the hands of house pastors. Campuses, we live in the hands of coordinators. The online guys, you guys are wonderful. We love you guys and we're excited and we rejoice. Enjoy the rest of your week and be blessed. Amen. Let's celebrate everybody around the world with a shout and a scream. Get excited, everybody. Woo! Amen! Glory to God.